So as we come to the last couple of sermons in our uh, Treasures of Faith series, Paul kind of leaves us with some direct challenges that he wants us to, to see. And as you've seen, a lot of this letter was Paul having to combat the false teachers that had come into Corinth. They, they had lied about him. They had divided people there. They had mistreated him. They had taught you know, bad doctrine. And, and it caused a lot of trouble. And Paul had to spend a lot of time kind of correcting all of that that happened. But one of the things that could have really helped along the way for the Corinthians is if they had really learned how to recognize truth. I mean, think about that. If we, if we are trained in the Word and we are trained in the things of God, there comes a point that we can recognize truth from error. Not in the judgmental sense of finding errors in other people or judging other people, but just simply able to say, that's not true. That's not right. That is not in accordance with the truth as revealed in Scripture. Recognizing truth is one of the chief treasures of faith that we have as Christians, but it's something that too many times we don't avail ourselves of that treasure. We don't develop the ability, the discernment that God wants us to have in life, and we suffer for it. And that's exactly what happened with the Corinthians. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, really didn't have to teach them anything new. You notice that. He never says, oh, and by the way, I want you to know this too. He spends a lot of time reminding them of things he's already taught them, things he's already said in 1 Corinthians, things he's already said in other letters that he sent them. Now, how many in here have ever had one of those moments where you knew the truth, you knew something, but you forgot it, and then when you remembered it, you're like, oh, I knew better. I knew that. I knew that, and you just had to be reminded of it, and it kind of cleared everything up in an instant. Isn't that annoying when we do that? Because we do, we know better, we know the truth, we know it's there. And, and see, what happens is we get complacent, we become complacent in applying the truth to every area of life. We get comfortable, and we let down our guard, and the instant we let down our guard on judging between truth and error. Again, I'm not saying having a judgmental attitude. That is a totally different thing. But discerning between truth and error in our lives, the instant we let down our guard, Satan is going to attack. And you know, if Satan could convince heaven, you know, angels to leave heaven, he can convince us of things that aren't true. And the only guard we have is the Word of God. That's it. We can't trust our own heart. We can't trust the world around us. We have to go to the Word of God and the fellowship of the saints within the church following that Word of God to know truth from error. And so Paul dives into what it means to recognize truth. And so I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 21. And he says, I have been a fool... You forced me to do it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. 
Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So Paul has to kind of pull all this together now as he's wrapping up his letter. And one of the things he starts to throw out there is the idea of what was it that they were paying attention to? What had their attention and we can answer this, we can ask the question right here, were they paying attention to prophecy or to their own preferences? And this is a question that every church, every Christian has to return to over and over and over again in life. Because let's just be honest, we as human beings have an incredible ability to take that which is not of eternal value and attach eternal value to it. Too many churches have split through the years over things that don't matter. I mean, they're going to get to heaven and it's going to be like, y'all split over that? Really? That didn't even matter. That didn't, that was neither here nor there. That had no eternal value to it whatsoever. There, there, there are people who, you know, choose, make choices in life based solely on their preferences. It's, we all have preferences. I'm not saying those are bad. But we have to learn the difference between the prophetic word of God in our own preferences. And here's a little inside information for you. If the word of God does not run counter to your preferences at some point, you're not following the word of God. And, and I just say that because I don't know at any, everybody at some point is going to read something in the Bible that they're going to say, you know what, I don't like that. Or they're going to recoil from it. Or they're going to be convicted and they're going to say, you know, I'd rather it not be that way. Wait a minute, you're telling me that every single time the truth of God is going to run counter to the human heart at some point. And if you don't think it does, I challenge you when you leave here, just ask God, God, where do my preferences get in the way of your, your word? And then go read your Bible, I promise you'll find it pretty fast. God is not shy about pointing that out. Because when we pay attention more to our preferences than we do to the Word of God, we put ourselves on the throne. We put ourselves where we shouldn't be. And, and so what Paul does here is he starts out and he says, look, I've been a fool for, 
for bragging about myself for this. I, but he's like, you forced me into it because I'm not inferior to these false prophets at all. Notice how he called them super apostles. I love that. You know, they sold themselves as something they weren't. You know, He's an apostle, but they were super apostles. <laughs> they were even better. And he's like, I wasn't inferior to them. And then what does he say? But I was nothing because this isn't about me. This isn't about Paul. And what he does is he takes them through his words and his actions that confirmed his message as an apostle. He says, look, I didn't take advantage of you. Could the false prophets say that? No. He says, look, did, I, I, I didn't do this. Did anybody that I sinned, did they take advantage of you? No. You see, he came as an apostle, and he says he gave the signs and wonders of an apostle. Now, in case you don't know what that means is... Jesus, of course, chose his apostles and sent out, and the apostles directly represented Jesus Christ, okay? They wrote our New Testament. We didn't have, you know, after that, we didn't have the New Testament yet. The church didn't. They had the actual apostles who wrote the New Testament, and when they would come into a town, they would perform miracles just like Jesus did. And they'd say, I have this message from God. Well, what confirmation? What authority do you have to tell me that God wants me to repent? Be healed. Oh, wow. And they would perform these miracles and they would give evidence of the presence of the Spirit. Now, those were the gifts of apostles. Not every Christian is supposed to do that. Okay? Those were apostolic gifts demonstrating apostolic authority. And Paul says, I did that. I came in, I showed you with miracles, with mighty works, with a demonstration of the Spirit, that the acts of an apostle were performed right in front of you. So how did they miss it? They followed their own preferences over the prophetic word that had been presented. And then it becomes silly because think about it. What preferences did they want? They wanted somebody who was a skilled speaker. Now, when you get to heaven, if you were a skilled speaker or not, is that going to matter? Are you going to get there with the, you know, the Lamb's Book of Life and open up to you know, the, the skilled speaker section? Oh, yeah, you're over here. Sorry. It's, it, no, it won't matter at all. But that's exactly what the Corinthians were like. Oh, these guys are slick. Man, they are good speakers. We really like it. And they just started listening to them instead of Paul, despite the miracles being given. And so in every generation, in every place, everywhere, this is a temptation that Christians must face and overcome. And it's one we've got to face several times. We will do it throughout life. Life changes and, oh, I just, you know, I prefer this. And listen, we have all done it. This is not condemnation, but it is a reality. We have all done it. And we continue to do it in so many ways. Well, I just, you know, I prefer, I prefer an early service. I prefer a later service. I prefer drums. I prefer no drums. I prefer a pastor that wears a suit and tie. I prefer a guy who wears blue jeans. Amen. That's a brave soul back there. But does any of that stuff matter? No. And it just, for me personally, this is something that I have seen so many times in 20 years of ministry 
that it just makes me sick inside the level of fellowship that is broken because of petty preferences. When we have much bigger things that, okay, maybe we disagree on this little thing over here, but we agree on so much that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that He is the only way to salvation. We believe that you must put your faith in Him. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Why can't we focus on those things instead of getting caught up in petty differences? But you know what? It is absolutely a common activity. I mean, it is a common problem in our world that we elevate our preferences to a level that, that it just doesn't belong. You know, I'll never forget one, one time, you know, I, I've pastored a, a few churches in my life and everything, and, and one of them, they really liked for me to wear a suit and tie every Sunday, and I did for a long time. And I just, I finally got tired of wearing a tie. I just did. I got tired of it. And so I stopped wearing the tie. I still had a suit jacket on, and I stopped wearing a tie. And after a few weeks, I was met after service by somebody that said, you know, I just can't even listen to you anymore. You don't even look like a preacher. And they were dead serious. They were upset. They were like, I, they literally could not hear the words coming out of my mouth anymore because they were so upset that I wasn't wearing a tie. And I looked at this person and I said, is that really your focus? I said, I'm not trying to get out of it, but is that really your focus? That's all you can think about? We're preaching the word of God and we're worshiping the God of creation and all you can worry about is my tie? Now let me tell you something, I haven't worn a tie since then. See, that's just my rebellious nature. I was like, I will take that distraction away. <laughs> but we all have preferences and we cannot assign eternal value for it. And in fact, when we start to assign eternal value to our preferences, we will stop listening to the voice of prophecy. And we will start looking for something to suit our own desires. And that's where it becomes a huge problem. Listen to this in 2 Chronicles 18, 3-8. Ahab, king of Israel, northern kingdom, okay, evil, bad king, doesn't like God, doesn't listen to God, uh, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, good king, southern kingdom, follows God, okay? Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? He answered him, I am as you are, my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, listen for the voice of prophecy, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, shall we go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for God will give it into your into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat, the one who listens to the voice of prophecy, okay, uh, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not, a, not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel, bad king, said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. See, Jehoshaphat is a good king. He knows the voice. He recognizes the voice of truth. And he hears all of these 400 guys come in. They're like, oh, the yes men show up. And they're like, yeah, 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 go ahead. Go to war. God's going to give it to you. We, we got this covered. And Jehoshaphat said, I don't think that that's how that's supposed to work. 
Don't you have a real prophet? Someone that's going to give you the actual word of God. And he's like, well, there's this one guy, but man, I don't like him. He's always telling me bad news. He's always telling me God doesn't like what I'm doing. Now, do you notice how that works? He surrounded himself with people who claimed to be of God, who claimed to speak for God, and they didn't. And the one guy in his kingdom that was willing to stand up and say, look, this is what God is saying. He's like, I don't like listening to him. I don't like him at all. Now, Jehoshaphat is like, I want to go hear what he has to say. And he summons Micaiah, and Micaiah comes and tells him the truth. When we value preference over prophecy, it's not just that we prefer it. We'll start to seek it out. And we will start to surround ourselves with it. And we will redefine everything in our lives to fit our own preferences and thus shut out the voice of prophecy and even come to despise the voice of prophecy in that process. Almost a hundred years later in Israel, Micah prophesied in, in, in Micah 2, 10 through 11, it says, Arise and go, for this is no place to rest. Okay, so the evil has taken over the world at that point, over Israel, because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. Now, verse 11, If a man should go about and utter, preach, wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. He's telling Micah, get out of here because these people aren't listening to the word of God anymore. And he says, the preacher they want would preach wine and beer. That's what they want. And that's what they get. And so I, I always am careful to talk about you know, the slippery slope thing because not every bad step is one that's going to lead you all the way down to a horrible place. But not knowing the difference between the prophetic word of God and our own preferences is one of those occasions. We have to be willing to hear the hard truth even when it goes against our preferences. When it goes against what we want. Even if it causes pain and makes us uncomfortable, we have to be willing to listen to the word of God above everything else. Which means we have to have those hard discussions with ourselves sometimes. Is this what I want? Or is this what God wants? You see, much later, it's not a one-time thing. In the New Testament, Paul says this. this. He says in, in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Do we see that happening in our world today? Yes. You see, instead of unity in the body of Christ, what we're seeing is more and more division all over the place where we, we are establishing a church for every niche out there. And I personally have a problem with that because Christianity is not about finding a niche. It is about unity within the body. It is about the fact that we serve a risen Savior united by the Spirit of God, united by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't matter now. The Bible says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. All are one in Christ Jesus. So why we got to have 9,000 churches where this is country church and this is rock and roll church and this is, 
whatever church, and this, I mean, we, we're going to split over every preference that we have and build a church not based on the gospel, but based on what I want the gospel to sound like. And it's a problem. It is a problem because it is teaching us that we can personalize the gospel. And is there anything more ridiculous sounding than personalizing the gospel? What is the gospel? For God so loved the world, hence not personalized, that he gave his one and only son that whoever, not personalized, believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We have one banner, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should be able to lay down our pride and preferences along the way and say, you know what, if it glorifies God and it leads people to Jesus, I'm in. And I don't care if we sing a cappella or if we have 19 guitars and 27 drum sets. If it's gospel-focused, it glorifies God, we should be able to find something in it. We should be able to unite because it's about Jesus and not about our preferences. And so when we do that, one of the things we'll notice, and this is one of the things that frees us, is that there is consistency within God's kingdom. And Paul points this out for us. This is the backbone of his argument right here as he's kind of calling the Corinthians out on them moving with preferences over truth is he presents the consistent truth that he and others presented and how they acted and what they did as proof that they were following God. And so there are certain aspects of God's nature and his character that will show itself over and over in his kingdom. Why? Because God is unchanging. And so if we follow him, his love is always going to be present. If we follow him, his holiness is always going to be present. If we follow him, his spirit is going to be present and it's going to unite us. And it will never change. And so listen again to what Paul says. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Less. But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding beloved. You see, Paul deflects every time. He's like, this isn't about me. But there are consistent aspects that he wants them to see. And it's something we can benefit from. So Paul, Titus, and the others who went to Corinth, who came, they all worked for the same goal and all showed the same concern and worked in the same manner for the Corinthians' good. And what were some of those characteristics that were common to everybody and are common to every work of God? Okay, get that. Every work of God will involve these characteristics. One, love. Love. I know we talk a lot about it, but listen. 1 John 4, 4, 7. He who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. If your faith is not leading you to love people more, you're doing it wrong. 
There's some preference in there. There's something that has stalled. God's ways lead us to love him and to love others in increasing fashion in our lives. Now, I'm not saying we get it right all the time. We're going to stumble. We are imperfect. That's why God's grace is there, and that's why we repent and we keep trying. But if you can look at yourself right now and say, you know what, for 10 years, I haven't learned how to love anybody any differently. And I'm going to tell you right now, for 10 years, you have not listened to God. And I don't say that to condemn. I say that to challenge. Because love will always be present. And this is what Paul says. His love for them was evident, and it was evident in Titus, and it was evident in the other servants as well. And Paul says, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? No, this should be a consistent thing in God's kingdom. We should love each other. And so every work of God's kingdom will reflect the love of God. Remember that. Write that on your heart. Write it in your mind. Every work of God will show the love of God. Two, it will lead to edification. What is edification? It is upbuilding. Edification is that process of sanctification where we grow and become more like Jesus. And when God is involved, edification will always be involved too. His love will be present and he's always going to move us forward. Now in some way, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect but, you know, one of the great old Puritans, I love the way he said it. He says, I, you know, by God's grace, I'm not what I once was. He says, I'm, I'm not what I should be, nor am I where I want to be. But by God's grace, I'm not where I was. Now, how many of us in here can say that? You know, I'm, I'm not where I want to be. Yeah, I want to go further. I want to grow. But, man, I can look back and see where God has brought me and say, I'm grateful for what he's done. Because I have changed. I have grown. And edification will absolutely be a part of it. And so listen again to Paul's words in verse 19 where he says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Paul never lost sight. In defending himself... It was still never about him winning an argument against the false teachers. It was never about him standing taller or, or you know, anything like that. He was always kept in view their good. The good of those that he was called to serve. And he was willing to do whatever was necessary to help them within that. And then three, when there is a work of God happening, when God is present, there will be there will be unity. Disunity is a sign of preference over prophecy. Unity is a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit within a people. And what Paul does here is he shows, he says, look, me and Titus and the other people that came, did we not all act the same? Did we not give you the same thing? Did we not love you the same? Did any of us take advantage? What is he showing? He's showing they're all on the same page, that they are unified in the message of God. They are unified in the service of God. So who was it that was divided? The Corinthians who were listening to false teachers. They were divided amongst themselves. They were divided against Paul. All of the arguing and, and, and the gossip and the slander and everything was a result of not following God. When we follow Christ, we will unite with others who are following Christ. 
And when I say unite, I mean our lives would be right there with them. That's the point. That's what church is about. It's not just about filling a seat on Sunday morning and checking off a box that, hey, I attended. It's that we are uniting with other Christians and joining together in fellowship and in service and in worship because we are united by His Spirit. We want to be with other people. And you know, I notice over and over, our world really pushes hating people just for hating them. And they do it as a joke. Anybody notice that? You see, you know, it's like, well, you know, I thought about going somewhere, but then I realized people were going to be there and decided not to. And we make jokes about it or things like that. It's like, oh, I, you know, people are horrible. People are... You know what? God's people aren't horrible. God's people are amazing. Are we all faulted? Yeah, we're all faulted. And that's why Paul says, hey, if there's anything to forgive, forgive it. Move on. He says things like, bear with one another with all long-suffering. You think he chose those words by accident? He knows we all got issues. But at the end of the day, he says, what? He says, but love each other. Be united together in the cause of Christ. Build one another up. That's what we are called to do. And when we start doing that, God starts doing amazing things. And we are called to know the fruit of both. And we can, when I say know the fruit, I mean we learn discernment. We learn how to discern between the fruit of the Spirit and, and the evidences of God's work and the works of the flesh and when I'm following my own preferences and what it gets us. Because there are real results between the two. There are absolute real results between when I listen to God and when I do things on my own. Anybody agree with that? They're pretty obvious too, aren't they? I mean, any path where we just continue down a path of preferences, what are we going to get? Well, here Paul lists it out. He tells us what the results are when we follow preference over prophecy. Listen to verse 20. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, a my I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be what? Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Now, is that an exhaustive list of sins? No, it's not exhaustive. We can always create a new one. What is he saying? He's saying there are fruits that are going to be repetitive. There are signs that when we take our eyes off of Christ, these are the things that are going to start happening every single time. Every time. Like you cannot stop it. This will be the result of following our own preferences as a people over the, the, the revealed word of God. What are they again? Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, Gossip, conceit, and disorder. How many of us have ever been in a church situation where gossip caused all kinds of trouble? How many of us have ever been somewhere where there was so much disorder that we're like, what's going on here? Why can't we just seem to agree on anything? You see, these are the guaranteed things. And 
instead of wanting to blame others when these things start to happen, we should learn to look at them as a sure sign of like, you know what, we've all gotten off base. We're just off track right now. Now, does he condemn anybody? No. He's saying, I'm fearing that I'm going to find this when I get there. And so that's where he says, I fear, verse 21, that I may come again, that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented. You see, the idea here is in 1 Corinthians, you go all the way back, there were all kinds of problems in Corinth that he had to write to them about. And he's like, hey, y'all stop doing this. Repent. But they got so divided. They got so distracted by following their own desires that their spiritual progress stopped. And the actual sin that Paul was addressing, that he's like, this has to change, never got addressed. And that's what Satan will do to us. If we take our own preferences over the word of God, then whatever God was working on in us will stall out and we will chase everything and anything else other than the very thing that God is trying to work within us. Now, how many people in here, I need you to be honest, how many of you get distracted easily? My son would raise his hand, but he's distracted right now. You know, it's whether it's work or whatever, you know, you start something and it's like, ooh, something shiny, you know. You get, you, you get online to do something and suddenly you're on YouTube and you're like, why am I here? You know, we get distracted. It's just what we do. And, and the very thing you set out to do now is like not getting done. And, 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 you know, you may have learned a whole lot about, you know, the sloth or whatever that you saw on YouTube. And you can say, oh, I learned all of this. Did the thing get accomplished? <laughs> no. Look, spiritually, we are the same way. And I mean that. Spiritually, we are exactly the same way. We'll get distracted. And if we start focusing on what we want above what God wants, then God will start working hard. And, and you know, we're changing and God's transforming us. We'll stall out at a spot. And sure, we're busy. We may be highly active in church and doing all kinds of things, but we're missing the one thing God wants to accomplish. And we'll waste all kinds of time doing it. And that's Paul's concern, is that he's going to show up there in Corinth, he says, for the third time now, which is a pretty special visit. Paul traveled so much. For him to go back to a place three times, that was significant. He really loved these people. And he's like, I'm worried you're still not moving forward. And I love how he says it. He says, I'm afraid I'm going to have to mourn. He's not even mad. He's not, I'm afraid I'm going to have to crack some heads when I get there. He's not, what is he? He's like, I'm afraid I'm going to have to, I'm going to, God's going to humble me. That I've let you down, that you haven't moved forward, that we've been caught up in all this nonsense and we should be further than this. And he says, I'm just afraid that all of this stuff that we've been trying to deal with, you've not dealt with it because you're so distracted by everything else. And so, we have to learn to recognize the fruits, know the fruit of the Spirit, and know the fruit of the flesh. And see the difference, and know the difference. Is it leading me to love other people or hate people? 
Is it leading me to hate people? I'm taking my eyes off of God. Is it leading me to unite with the body of Christ or is it leading me to separate from the body of Christ? When we see these things happen, is it leading me to speak in an edifying way of people, to build them up according to their need, or is it leading me to gossip about them, to tear them down? Whichever one it is, we can look at it as the fruit of what we're following. And it becomes obvious at that point. Now, here's the good news. God doesn't condemn us at that point. We just got to repent. We just got to turn away from it and say, okay, God, I got distracted. He's like, I know. And we confess and we come back to him and we start following and we start right back up where we left off. Now, I think sometimes the problem is that we start back where we left off and we're like, ooh, now I remember why I got distracted. Because you're dealing with something I don't want to deal with. He's like, oh, we're dealing with it. And we say, ooh, look, something shiny. He said, don't do it again. Come back. Let's work on this. Because God is going to sanctify us. And so, why would there be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder? Because they're not following Christ. They haven't repented of known sin in their life, and so it's now festering. And what is growing in our lives is going to show itself. And if we're feeding the flesh, the flesh is what's going to be seen. If we're feeding the Spirit, the Spirit is what's going to be seen. And so look at your life and see what is it reflecting. What is coming out of your mouth, of your mind, of your heart. Knowing God does not condemn you. You are forgiven in Christ. All you have to do is go back to him and pray and and say, God, I want to walk with you. I want to know your ways. Get back in the word. And God will start right back where we left off. No condemnation, no guilt, no shame. Just the presence of his spirit. And in doing that, we will learn to recognize the truth. And when we recognize the truth, Jesus said what? He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, I just thank you for each person here. And God, as we go into this time of Lord's Supper together, God, I just pray, Lord, that we are united. We're not united by our preferences, by by our likes or dislikes. We are united by your spirit, by the gospel, by your sacrifice for us, and by our service and commitment to your kingdom. God, that we would acknowledge fully that we are the body of Christ and that you are the head, that together we all serve you We all follow you. We all seek to glorify you and that that is the highest calling that our lives can have. God, whatever may have taken us away from your presence, wherever our preferences may have taken precedence over your word, God, we repent of that right now. That God, as we take this Lord's Supper, we do it in a manner that is worthy. Because you are first. Because it is about your glory and not our own. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.